Hi, friends. Welcome to Art Lab. I'm your host, Kendall Hillegas. So imagine you have an idea for a new piece of creative work. It's a good idea. It's interesting. It's inspiring. It gives you a sense of energy and internal momentum. And when you sit down to work, everything just seems to flow. The moment-by-moment decisions come easily, almost as if you're not even the one making them. You're buzzing with energy and inspiration, but somehow totally at peace too. You lose track of time and everything around you seems like it fades away. It can almost feel like you're just along for a ride, not doing anything to actively steer the creative process. It's like the creative work itself is a boat and you're the passenger and this current is just effortlessly moving you forward. When you're lucky enough to tap into those moments in your creative practice, it can feel magical and almost mysterious, like your skills and the things that excite you and make you who you are all just converge on their own and you get to witness something totally new emerging. For me, this is what it feels like to get into the flow state. And that state tends to be what I associate with feeling inspired, not just with having a good idea, but with having that sense of inspiration stay strong and last beyond the concept phase all the way through the process of creating the work itself. And while it certainly doesn't happen every time I paint, the fact that painting is one of the most reliable doorways into that place for me is definitely a big reason I kept coming back to art making. As magical as it can feel to spend time there, I'm sure most of us are also familiar with the opposite experience, a kind of anti-flow where you might not feel like creating at all and weeks or months could go by without any making, a total inspiration dry spell. Or maybe the initial inspiration still comes for you and you do somehow manage to catch a glimpse of it and decide to follow. But once you sit down and work, you just end up staring blankly at your canvas or your screen, almost forgetting why you're there, unsure of where to go. Like you followed some kind of magical creature out to sea and then they evaporated as soon as you lost sight of land. You're still in that boat. You're still in that boat of your creative work, but it's not going anywhere. There's no flow, no momentum, no sense of where to go next or how to decide what to do. It feels like there's nothing that's in your control. Like you just have to lie down and wait for the winds to change. Today, we're going to get into that second boat, the anti-flow boat, the one that's out to sea with no current and no breeze and no compass. We're going to talk about what happens when inspiration runs dry, which is one of the most common experiences in any creative practice. And as much as there are many things about it that are out of your control, there are some things that you can control too. So we're going to explore the concrete practices that you can experiment with to find the current again and get back in touch with inspiration. So before we dive in, we first need to acknowledge that since feeling uninspired is so very common, figuring out the why behind a lack of inspiration can be a bit like diagnosing a sore throat or a headache. There are just so many things that can cause it, and you can't only rely on WebMD to figure it out. You have to look at the other signs and symptoms as well as the overall context too. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to get into four broad diagnoses. Diagnosis? I don't know actually the plural of diagnosis, but I'm sure one of you will tell me. Four broad ways that inspiration dry spells can present. We'll unpack some symptoms to look for in each of them so that you can develop an idea of what might be causing the issue for you. Since feeling uninspired can have so many root causes, it's really important to try to diagnose the one that's actually causing the issue for you so that you can have a sense of where to start experimenting with the practices that we'll get into in the second half of the episode. All right, let's get into it. 
The first possible diagnosis, the first possible why for a lack of inspiration is an over-reliance on ideas, essentially depending solely on a concept to create the inspiration and momentum in your work. So this could come up a few different ways. Maybe you have trouble making creative work unless you have an idea you are really pumped about. You might procrastinate with your creative work because unless you're fueled by an idea, unless the muse herself has actually arrived, then it's really hard to show up and get going. Or if you don't feel like you spend a lot of time waiting on the muse, maybe you might have tons of ideas that feel inspiring and have no trouble getting started, but you still end up not finishing lots of your projects because as soon as you get going, it feels like the idea evaporates. Like it was a strong breeze with tons of momentum initially, but as soon as you ride it out to sea, it quickly dies down, leaving you stranded in that boat. I know for me, I experienced versions of this feeling a lot in the early years of my creative practice. And even still, when I try something new or unfamiliar, this feeling comes right back up. And I do find that it can tend to happen that way. It's not a rule, but it can tend to happen that way, where this experience is a lot more common for folks at the beginning part of their creative practice, or maybe at the beginning of a totally new creative project or type of creative work. I think that may be because when you're getting started, you don't yet have an established routine to rely on. The idea itself has to bring all of the momentum. If the idea is the wind and your creative practice is a sailboat with no backup power, that scenario can cause problems because it leaves you only able to make creative work when the idea is exactly right, when the inspiration winds are blowing the way that you want them to blow. Think about it this way. Imagine a baker who bakes bread every day. Yes, they may sometimes have a creative idea for some new amazing kind of pastry, but mostly they are focusing on those basic ratios and routines that are ingrained in their muscle memory. And those ratios, that practice, those routines provide the energy that moves them forward. And when an inspiration breeze does show up and they do have an idea for some amazing new recipe, it's kind of like a bonus, like a turbo boost. It's still incredible. And of course, we all want that breeze. We all want that turbo boost. But the regular bread, the standard ratio is still getting made every single day regardless. So two practices you can experiment with if you feel like this is the boat you're in. If you're feeling like your ideas are carrying all of the weight and you're relying solely on your ideas for momentum. The first practice here is to block out the product and focus on the process. We've talked about this before in previous episodes, how in making creative work, we have to kind of toggle back and forth between focusing on the process and focusing on the product. It's not as though one is bad and the other is good, but we have to kind of actively maintain a balance between them. And if you tend to be in a place where you have been relying heavily on the idea for the energy and the momentum of your creative work, and you're getting hung up on that, you're getting stuck out at sea, it might be time to try to refocus on the process for a while. Okay, so how to actually do this, how to actually block out the product and force yourself to focus on the process. Back when I had first graduated from college, one of my very first jobs was as an SAT tutor. And if you're not in the U.S. and you're not familiar with the SAT, it is a standardized test that many American students take right before graduating high school. It is notoriously unfair, and there are tons of problems with it, and it can have a really big impact on college acceptance and scholarships. So the stakes can feel very high, especially if you're a 16 or 17-year-old. And as a tutor, my job was to sit down with these kids, with these high schoolers, and figure out where they were getting stuck and then to tailor practices that would help them get moving again. One really common problem that caused issues for a lot of students was the kind of multiple choice fill in the blank vocabulary question. So you'd read this sentence with a missing word and then below that you'd have to choose the correct missing word to fill in that blank from four possible options. 
And the very first strategy that I would try with a student if this type of question was a problem for them was to just not look at the multiple choice answers. And of course, you're going to have to look at the answers eventually. But what a lot of folks would do, what a lot of students would do that could cause problems was to skim the sentence and then immediately start looking at the multiple choice options, trying each one on for size to see which one made the most sense. But that can be tricky because it would stop them from really paying attention to what is actually going on in the sentence first. So what was recommended, what I would teach them was to use their hand to just block out the answers initially. Then they'd read the sentence, trying to really focus on understanding the meaning and coming up with their own idea for the sort of word that might fit in that blank space. Then they'd pencil it into that blank space to see if it would work. And only then would they look at the options, would they look at the available answers and try to find a synonym with their word. So rather than starting with a product, with the options, with the answers themselves, and trying to work backwards to fit it in, kind of losing touch with the meaning and the comprehension of the process along the way, they're just really focusing in on the sentence itself, on understanding the meaning, and then arriving naturally at the word that actually works in the blank space. So translating that to our situation, translating that to creative work, we want to find a way to block out the product, to force yourself to focus more on the process for a while. One way to do this is very simple, and it's just to make the easiest, smallest, quickest version of your idea. This would be a really good strategy to try if you are someone who feels like they have lots of ideas, but that those ideas quickly run low on energy before they can finish them. In this scenario, think of your idea as the plans for a dream vacation to a country that you have never visited before. But before you invest in that dream vacation, you want to make sure you actually like being there. You actually like being in that place. So first, you want to take that trip on a really small budget. Imagine that the plane leaves tomorrow and that you can only bring a tiny backpack. Cut it down to just the essentials of the idea. Bring it to a point where there isn't this massive itinerary that requires months of planning. It's a spontaneous, low-budget weekend trip. And your goal in taking that trip is just to experience being there and see whether that place, that process is one that you actually want to spend time in. The second thing that you could try here to block out the product is to just completely set aside concept-heavy, idea-heavy work for a while. This could work well if you're feeling like you don't have any good ideas at all or like you're waiting around for a good idea to fall out of the sky. So instead of doing that, instead of waiting around, pick a different focus. Pick a different type of momentum for your work. This could look like learning a new skill or a media related to your creative practice or maybe a totally unrelated one going in a completely different direction for a while, maybe taking an online class or an in-person workshop, basically any concrete thing that you can learn that doesn't require you to first have a great idea to take action. Getting to this place where you're a beginner, putting all of your energy and focus into skill acquisition can take your attention off of idea acquisition for a while and make it more possible to move forward. What you want to be on the lookout for as you're experimenting with either of these approaches is the process itself feeling like it brings its own momentum. As always, pay attention to your feelings and what's going on for you internally while you're in that work, noticing if and when things get sticky and then adjusting accordingly. So if you're waiting around for the muse or if your idea wins are dying down as soon as you set sail, try a process first approach instead to build your backup power source. Okay, on to diagnosis two, which is the ugly valley. 
If you're not a visual artist, you may not be familiar with this term, but basically an ugly valley is the messy middle part of any creative work where the excitement of the initial idea is just long gone, but you are still miles from the destination. And if you're stuck here, you might have a practice that you enjoy where the idea itself isn't necessarily providing all the momentum on its own. You might have some skills developed and have completed some creative works in the past. You're dialed into both process and routine, trying to hold that balance, and you have your sales up for when that inspiration wind does actually come. But then when you hit the ugly valley, suddenly there is a nagging sense that the idea itself, that wind that's pushing you forward might not be taking you where you want to go. Or you might just feel lost, like the wind is still blowing and you have your backup engines of your routine firing, but you don't know where to steer the ship. So if you're in that place right now where you still have a sense of momentum and ability to move forward, but the uncertainty is causing you to second guess yourself and spiral internally, I would recommend starting by looking at your track record. The longer you have been engaged in a creative practice, the more you learn your own patterns and the feelings that tend to come up for you, which doesn't make the process more comfortable necessarily, but it does make it easier to stay the course. And a lot of the advice that is out there about getting through ugly valleys is to just do it, to just push through. And if you can, if you can just do it and push through that feeling of uncertainty, that is a fine thing to do. And it is definitely the simplest approach here. One way to test if this simpler approach might work for you is to just look at what is actually happening in your practice right now. Look at the evidence and your own track record. Have you faced this kind of feeling at this level before? How long have you been stuck this time? Has it been days, weeks, months? Is there any possibility that you can just buckle down and get it done? If after looking at the context and answering these questions, you feel like the answer is yes and that you can just buckle down and get it done, that is great. That's a fine thing to do. I do that sometimes. Just go for it. But if not, if you're feeling like buckling down is not going to help here, you're not going to be able to push through, then stick with me and we will unpack three practices that you can experiment with to get through your ugly valley. All right, first up is just abandoning your current course, just deciding that the work is already ruined, turning your sails and going in a completely different direction for a while. You're admitting to yourself that you are no longer trying to get to the original idea destination, but you also don't want to waste a good opportunity to learn and experiment. Use a different media or method. Try to identify something that you have been wanting to learn for a while, something that you've been wanting to figure out or work on. See if there's a way for you to test that in, in this current piece, in this current work. Do something that is just completely off script, something that you haven't been planning on, something that is uh, a definite detour or maybe even turning in a different direction and just see what happens. Happens. This is something that I have done again and again. And while it doesn't always fix things, there are many times when it has been exactly the reset that I've needed because it, it really just takes the pressure off. And sometimes even after taking all these rabbit trails, I end up at the original destination anyway, just having taken a completely different route to get there. And even if that doesn't happen, even if I don't end up at that original destination, if the piece itself ends up in the bin, the practice is still incredibly valuable. And there are multiple failed pieces that I can think of where I have learned really crucial lessons that I've taken forward on onto future creative work. And if you just give up, if you get to that point, if you get to that stage in the ugly valley and you just give up without ever trying either of those approaches, one, there'll be plenty of times that you could have gotten to where you were going if you had stuck through. And uh, and then there are other times, other lessons, other skills that you can learn. And all of that would just have been left on the table if you abandon it. The second tool to get through the ugly valley is to narrow your focus. So put all of your attention on a small area in your piece and ignore the bigger picture. This could look super literal, like actually just 
getting everything within a few square inches of your painting looking the way that it needs to look, you know, putting those literal and figurative blinders on, forcing yourself to block out the overwhelming kind of frightening bigger picture. Or it could be more internal and postural, like just identifying one thing that you can do next in your piece, even if it feels small or out of sequence or not that important. And then just doing that again and again and again, continuing to identify those tiny next steps that you can take in your work. Sometimes it can be helpful here to set a timer and work on the small bits for kind of discrete blocks of time. I even like covering up the parts of the painting that I'm not working on, again, just for a little while until I get through that ugly valley. Tool number three is to take a problem-solving approach. So to set the piece aside for a few days, put it in a drawer, do whatever you need to to, to uh, separate yourself from it. And then when you return, try to step back and look at it as objectively as you can, asking yourself what actually really needs to happen here. We have a tendency, at least I have a tendency, to have a sense that something isn't right uh, before I actually know the the thing that's causing problems. So the goal with this practice is to try to give yourself that space so that you can actually kind of uh, interrogate and figure out what's underneath that sense that something isn't working, the sense that you're feeling disoriented and not sure where to go and um, having a hard time making decisions with your piece and, and trying to turn that into something more specific. So what are the the really specific problems or changes that are causing that ineffable sense of something being off or something not being right? Uh, When you have a sense of what those are, say them out loud to yourself, write them down in a notebook, and try not to be precious about the solution. So once you identify what is actually causing the problem, what actually needs to change, uh, maybe the solution, the most accessible solution to that is not what you had in mind. Maybe it feels like you're cutting a corner or doing something the easy way. And I know for me, this is how I ended up embracing mixed media because I noticed that so many of the places I would get hung up on in a painting could be navigated a lot more easily by a different media. And this can be tough to admit and tough to experiment with if you are an idealist and you're wanting to create you know, a perfect watercolor painting with traditional watercolor techniques. And of course, you can decide to do this. You can decide to put in the time to master something at that level and to solve the problem problems at that level. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that everybody needs to be a mixed media artist or whatever the equivalent of a mixed media artist is in your creative genre. But I am a mixed media artist because when I let that idealistic, purist, perfectionist part of me run the show, I end up stuck in this place, a lot of these places over and over again. So for me, just focusing on the problem that needs to be solved in the piece and solving it in the most direct way possible keeps me moving, which is usually what I want. This last approach that we've just unpacked here, this more practical problem solving approach, may be more challenging for folks who have less experience in their creative work or maybe a less developed skill set because it can be really tough to tell what is causing issues in your piece. But regardless, it is something that I have been doing more and more recently when I feel stuck in the valley and it has definitely gotten me moving again many, many times. Ultimately, whichever tool you decide to experiment with first, the goal with any of these three approaches is to develop an internal compass. So to grow and strengthen that sense that you know where you're going, or at least that if you do get lost, you have confidence and a trust in yourself that you will be able to find your 
way. And this confidence, this this internal trust in your own ability to to figure out where you're going and to navigate the creative process is something that happens over time and continues to grow. So even if you feel like you're always lost whenever you hit the ugly valley, know that that is totally normal. Personally, I, I think I probably experienced that disorientation and feeling lost, like I didn't know how to make the creative decisions that my piece needed whenever I would hit an ugly valley for years. Every single painting, well, maybe I shouldn't say every single painting, most paintings, I would hit that point for several years. So it is totally normal to experience some version of this. And the most important thing is to just keep at it, to keep practicing, keep experimenting, trying out different approaches. If something isn't working for you, if one of these approaches isn't working for you, that's fine. Throw it out and find another one. Do whatever you have to, to keep progressing, to keep taking action in that process. And your compass will get more and more accurate with time. The third diagnosis for a lack of inspiration is maybe the simplest one of all, and that is you need a break. We live in a chaotic world with so many demands on our time and our energy. Most of us have jobs outside of our creativity that demand focus and attention. We have friends and partners and families. We have to cook and eat and do laundry and exercise and somehow among all of that manage to find meaning. And if you add onto that a constant demand on your creativity to be productive, to show up and get it done, after a while, it only makes sense that you'll feel drained. This could present as having made a lot of creative work for a long time without any breaks. You might still be able to get your yourself to show up by, you know, kind of twisting your own arm uh, and manage to somehow get it done, but you feel tired and burnt out and the process itself feels forced. It no longer makes you feel curious or interested. The only momentum, the only sense of momentum that's left for the boat of your creative practice is just you tirelessly paddling away, longing for land. Something that you can try when you're in this boat is nothing. Take a break, set aside your creative work, let yourself have blocks of non-productive time, even if they're small. It is okay and even necessary to have significant periods of time when your creative work is at rest. You cannot be a constant stream of output without suffering a loss of depth and quality and meaning in your work. I think about it kind of like farming, where if fields aren't allowed to lie fallow, if they're not allowed to you know, be unfarmed for a while, over time, they'll get sapped of vital nutrients, gradually producing worse and worse crops with less and less nutritional value. And when that happens, in addition to letting those fields lie fallow, you can also actively amend the soil of your creativity. You can add back in the things that it needs to grow rich, dense, creative work. And if you're not sure what those things are for you, if you don't know what soil amendments your creative fields need, a good starting point is to follow your curiosity and interest. These amendments don't have to be, and in fact, they probably should not be the things that you think ought to enrich your creative soil. If you're in a place where you truly need a break, where the fields need to lie fallow, let yourself focus on the things that pique your interest, whether or not they have any potential application to your current practice, whether or not they feel serious or like they should be the things that that add that nutrition back into their creative soil. The final diagnosis for a lack of inspiration is that the idea itself is a bad idea. 
I've put this diagnosis last because I think it's really common to have a sense that the reason we're feeling uninspired is that we just haven't found the right idea yet. That inspiration hasn't arrived and until it does, we until we have a truly good idea, there's just nothing that we can do but wait. We're kind of powerless in this scenario. And to me, in, in my own practice, this was always a very tempting diagnosis, something that I was always pretty eager to believe because it put the cause of my problems well outside of what I could control. Until inspiration, until the muse visit, There's nothing I can do. I just keep coming up with bad ideas. These are all terrible ideas, and I just need to wait until I have a good idea. But in my purely anecdotal opinion, this is not often the actual cause of the problem. So that's why I'm putting this last. I think the previous three diagnoses are way more common. But of course, just because it's not usually the answer does not mean that it is never the answer. Sometimes we really do get stuck because we set sail on the wrong idea, on the wind of the wrong idea, or you know, maybe because we have sailed as far as we can on a particular idea that used to have a lot of power that used to really inspire us. This can present as having an established creative practice that you can count on and continuing being able to create work and continuing to be able to produce work regularly, but kind of feeling listless, not necessarily tired as in the burnt out example, but more almost bored. Or it could look like, you know, you're working on the same idea for a long time and uh, you finished work in that vein previously, but now you just no longer feel challenged or curious. Our growing edges can tend to change and shift over time. And what used to motivate and inspire us might eventually stop propelling us forward because it runs out of tension. So if you're in that bad idea boat, if the idea itself is actually causing the problem, the lack of your inspiration, one practice that can be helpful is to go in the opposite direction. So identify the growing edge that you have been working on, the direction that you have been pushing in, and pivot to the opposite. For me, this is helpful to do because it brings back in that balance. And often when I get to a point where an idea has totally lost its power, it's because I have been going in that direction for so long that things have gotten out of balance and I need to find a new equilibrium, which for me usually looks less like trying to navigate to some perfect balanced midpoint and more like letting the pendulum swing to the other side for a while. And this pendulum swing is something I have been in, something I have been actively experiencing for the last year or more in my own creative work. This podcast that you're listening to right now is a part of that process, a part of that pendulum swing. For me, I had been so focused on consistency and showing up and putting the practice above everything else for such a long time because building a strong backup engine, uh, my creative work was really crucial for me. I, I tend to be somebody who naturally wants to focus a lot more on the ideas and then rely on those ideas to bring all of the wind power. So working on my backup engine was what enabled me to build a reliable creative practice to begin with. But even so, I have been able to tell for a while that something was shifting and something was becoming off balance and was going to potentially need to be recalibrated. I, I, I still need to focus on the practice and faithfulness to it and just showing up and putting in the time. I think I always will actively need to work this muscle since it's just not a strong one for me. But for the past couple of years, I've been working on identifying my new growing edge, which was and is, I think, making work that I really care about, work that means something to me on another level. And being willing to turn into that wind, turn into that unfamiliar, uncertain wind at times, even if it does feel scary to me. So if you're feeling stuck on this one, if you think that it's the idea itself that has lost power, even amidst your ability to continue showing up and making the work, try to notice if there is a new growing edge emerging in your practice. Try to notice whether there is a new wind. Is there a sense that there's something not quite right, a thought that keeps coming up, an idea that won't 
go away? What is the new thing that you're curious about or longing for or afraid to try? And then how can you experiment with that thing, even if it's in a really small way? And if this feels overwhelming or you don't know where to start, as always, make it easier. Take it down to the point where you feel safe to experiment with, make it as tiny as possible, and then give that new growing edge a try. So wrapping up this week, if you're feeling uninspired or if you've been in a season of feeling that way, if you've been in a season of feeling uninspired, try to get to the why. Try to diagnose what is actually happening for you. Is it too much reliance on the idea? Are you relying on the idea itself to bring all of the power to your creative work, all of the momentum to your creative work, and not enough emphasis on the practice? Or are you getting stuck in the ugly valley and you know needing to learn some navigational skills to get yourself through that? Or do you just need a break? Or is the idea itself, the following the wrong idea, is that actually what's causing the problem for you? Do you truly need a new idea? Try to reflect on that. Try to figure out which one of these diagnoses is actually applicable for you. Make a plan to experiment with one of the concrete actions that we unpacked, and those will be in the show notes as well. And then decide what you're going to do. Write it all down and experiment with it this week. And of course, as always, if you end up sharing what you get up to with this on social media, please tag me. I love seeing what you're working on. And if you found this episode helpful, please share it with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Many thanks to everybody who has already done so. And also to the editing team at Wave Podcast who edit this show and to the show's unofficial godparents, Fabiola Lara of Draws in Spanish and Andy J. Pizza of Creative Pep Talk. Without both of you, Art Lab would not have been made and I am super grateful. Okay, friends, that is about it. Thank you for spending time with me and have a great week.